You're listening to the Creative Joint Podcast. Fresh episodes every Wednesday. The, the wound is where the light comes in, right? And so I think as storytellers, as artists, we do let the wound be a place where we can talk about the light, where we find light. Like some storytellers, some artists are really drawn to explore the dark because that's how they can understand the light. And I, I've had some of my most profound spiritual experiences in the theater. Like one time just bawling almost I, I, I think I remember feeling you know quote unquote weak in the knees where I couldn't even hold my body up because the film had touched me so deeply well ladies and gentlemen we're here <laughs> at the creative joint podcast here at visual street films and our guest today is holy cannoli himself Mr. Tony <laughs> Gas. Say it with a, no no gas and no piss in my name. <laughs> Gapastione. Yeah, that's right. Gapastione. Yep. Well, so. but there's another. Uh, everybody just says Gapastone. Yeah. Gapastone. They make it American. You know, it's fine. I forget that. I <laughs> Gapastione. When I go that's to what Italy, it is. Italy like is I could just feel like I'm a super uber Italian because everyone's like Gapastione. Gapastione. Yeah. Oh, I love it. <laughs> that's I awesome, it, man. man. So what's been new, man? We met you know a few months ago and through our, our beautiful barber. friend, our barber. Yeah. Which I'm I Michelle. Another cut, uh, Michelle. They uh, are probably about four months into their business. Yeah, um, Boondocks. Boondocks out in, in San, San Carlos. Carlos. Just killing it. Yeah, we're in San Carlos. We out here. Two hot ch- tattooed chicks just killing the game. <laughs> like, what else can you ask for? What do you What do you think of their shop? Oh, it's cool, man. I keep telling her I see a film. Like, I want to film something there eventually. Anytime I, I go somewhere, I'm always thinking about, ooh, can I location. film here? Right. Yeah. Oh, I gotta write. I gotta write something for this location. Well, it's gotta be. I mean, she's got the vibe, right? Mm-hmm. We got yep. like. I think we should definitely collaborate on something to do that. Yeah. A short yeah. of some sort. Yeah. I think it. it'd be fun. You know, like, get them in there. The easy thing to do is how can we write something for like one location? Exactly. Inside, outside, you make something. You get a couple of actors together. Yeah, that's what I'm. I got a lot of uh, layered, uh, multi-location films that are super high budget. I'm yeah. trying to get those off the ground, but I'm like, what can I do? Like improv or like one or two something places. that takes one day to exactly. shoot. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it really a good short is one one location, really yeah. one scene. Well, even like doing a feature film, man. Like there's a lot of people who are doing feature films uh, over a couple weekends. They're doing improv type things. They're not even fully writing the whole scripts they're doing those things called like scriptments right so it's improv you get a couple actors and you say hey this is the story you want this and this is your obstacle and we're going to put you in situations we're going to give you some structure mm-hmm. but we're going to let you have fun kinda. i feel like that would work better with like with comedians comedians are just off the top they just have to be quick well you know joe swanberg you've heard of that guy he does a lot of like drama stuff like that there's some maybe dark edgy comedy but it's not straight comedy but I think, yeah, I think a certain actor who's funny and really quick on their feet, like a, like an improv type person. Yeah, like a Vince great. Vaughn. Yeah, but I think I'm, <laughs> I think drama could be pretty cool too. I don't know. Maybe a dramedy? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what's going on, brother? You have a couple of features going on, and that's huge. I mean, jumping from the game of doing shorts – yeah. you know month uh, year after year and mm-hmm. just producing those kicking those out it's a whole different ball game when you're mm-hmm. doing I, i've never done one right i've worked on a couple and i've worked on like a series uh that was for tv that you know took a long time to create you're shooting for months yeah. right um how's the workflow been I'm learning too, man. So all of my experience has been doing short films and people say, if you've done a short film, you know, it's just like 
make it longer. It's just like uh, add a couple more weeks on top of that, uh, right? So, At least, right? Yeah. So I'm uh, I'm learning from the scrap from scratch, dude. I've got a couple projects right now. One that I'm just producing. It's called Thirty Three Days, and it's about a true story uh, in the Tenderloin in San Francisco. A guy named Roger Huang, and he was a Taiwanese is a Taiwanese guy who came to the states in the '70s, and his uh, family was an abusive family, and he ended up leaving them and living on the streets of San Francisco. And he kind of made it his goal to uh, rise up the American dream uh, in the hotel industry. And while he's working at Park 55, which is a really nice hotel. Yeah, that's right? like the, right the beginning yeah. of uh, a market in Fifth. Yeah, Union you know, Square. Half a block away, yeah. yeah. Which just a few blocks you know, away from there is the roughest and toughest part. It's our, tender, our skid row, our tenderloin. Yeah. And uh, he got a flat tire there one day. And while he was waiting for the tow truck, he saw a boy being harassed and beat up. And he saw, you know, there's just, there's uh, drug addicts, there's prostitutes, there's human feces. It, there's, you know, people shooting up right in front of the police station. Oh, yeah. I mean, hundreds of needles found yeah. every day, yeah. no doubt. There's like 4,000 homeless people a day yeah. going through there. And he, his heart was just broken, dude. And he, uh, long story short, ended up giving up the hotel industry dream and ended up starting uh, a school and a rescue mission and a thrift store. Now they have a clinic and a church and it culminated in 2004 when he did a hunger strike because he felt like the city was overlooking all of the oppression there. The, um, the alcohol uh, joints were not being regulated in, in regards to where his school was. There's a certain you know, regulation that a city should enforce. If a, there's a school, there should not be a liquor store right next to it or right. even within 200 feet. And that wasn't the case. So yeah, I mean, that's I, I think that goes out the window in the tenderloin. Right? Exactly, <laughs> they don't care. Yeah, but there's kids. There's hundreds of kids growing up in the tenderloin, and this guy started to care for them. And so he, it's a true underdog kind of amazing story of a guy who was willing to sacrifice his life. Thirty-three days he went without food. Wow, that's incredible. On the steps of City Hall, for like day and night. How did you get in contact with him? And did you reach out to him, or did somebody tell you about his story? And you're like, oh my god, I got to go meet this guy. Yeah, I just started volunteering there first. I didn't even know the story. I was just interested in hanging out with people who were on the front lines of justice. And my fr I met a friend there. I met a guy there who became my friend, and we started hanging out. And then one day he tossed me the book. He's like, hey, dude, this is the book of Roger. I hadn't even met Roger at that point. And I read the book, and the book was called Chasing God, One Man's Pursuit of Justice in the Heart of the City. That was the okay. tagline. How did the book do? Uh, you know, I don't know how much how the book did. Well, <laughs> how did it read? Did you? Were oh you, man, were the you book is super cinematic. I'm actually rereading it right now because our team is doing some uh, work on the uh, treatment for the script. But it's so cinematic, like it's just written in a way that you know, you walk in the tenderloin, you can see it, you can feel it, you can smell it, and where that's why I thought like this thing's got to be a film. And a friend of mine who was uh, volunteering there too, he was a filmmaker guy. And we assembled this team, and uh, we've been working on it for two years now. It's crazy how long it takes to make a film because you have to get the money. Sure. And it's also going to be a period piece, right? Because it happens uh, in the um, you know early two thousands, and you have to do some flashbacks to the seventies and eighties, and blah blah blah. Sure, so all that costs money. But yeah, learning. Well, we uh, you know I worked for several years out there, and as a bartender, and so I saw mm. the nightlife, and I'd always. It always, you know, it occurred to me that, you know, there's a reason why it's Skid Row and it is what it is. You know, you have the haves mm -hmm. and the have-nots. The people that are in that area, there's a lot of have-nots, yeah. right? But there's a lot of people, tourists, 
they put the tourists right then and there and it's so close to all the big shopping it's like yeah you know the difference between like palo alto and east palo alto yeah it separates the freeway yeah, and you're just like sure. oh my god we're so close to where we want we our dream is you know yeah i think about um i don't know if you're from the area but palo alto uh-huh. pali high yeah. school uh-huh. these kids you know it's a you know well-to-do neighborhood in school and they are li- like looking at stanford university every single day and it's in their face you know as opposed to looking at the freeway or looking at something else just a couple miles away you know i mean that's that's a tenderloin yeah right that dichotomy is very interesting right like to see like where you are and roger was on the other side of that right he was homeless and then worked himself out of that to be in park 55 and then gave that up to go back Mm -hmm. to the streets and go back to his roots and started because he realized that's where he was he he knew what it felt like to be abused and oppressed and he knew he wanted to do something about it so pretty cool story so how much time in pre-production and listening to him and you know interviewing him i'm sure yep. i mean were you doing audio were you just yeah. writing it down how did you get the story down before oh, you were tough. into the script well the cool thing is he the book right he has a lot of it documented in this memoir thing uh so we have we have that we're paging through it again right now just kind of pulling things but we also did a ton of interviewing video and audio uh interviewed people who were a part of the process and there's tons of articles written about it wow. right about him gavin newsom was the mayor who is actually running right now he's running yep. for, for governor Cal- of california but he was the mayor of san francisco at that time he was the one who came down on day 14 and said hey roger like i got your letter yeah. I read all your demands. I, you want to clean up. You want to sweep through. You want more police protection. You want the park. There was one park in the Tenderloin. You want that cleaned up yep. on a regular basis. And he um, engaged with Roger and tried to get Roger to get off the hunger strike. But Roger was like, nope, I'm not doing it until all those demands are met. And then on day 33, Gavin Newsom gave in to all of those demands. Uh, but the funny thing is Gavin – you know, it's a, it's a politician thing. Gavin, yeah. Gavin became sort of the hero in the situation, sure. you know, because he ended up taking credit for doing what they called a scrub down of the tenderloin. Sure, uh, sure. But you look at it now, Roger would still say, you know, he doesn't believe a politician is going to be the one to save the tenderloin. He still believes it's about the people, the people working together and sure. what he's doing. Well, what's going on now? I mean, they're, it's being gentrified. Yeah, right. Exactly. Pretty Twitter, deep. right? Yeah. Twitter's there. And well, Twitter, Twitter's been there sorts. for a while, but there's yeah. other companies that are trying to move in, and they're yeah. giving them the tax incentives. And yep. now they're really, you know, there's a lot more conferences. Mm-hmm. The Moscone Center is just redone. The whole there is so much construction in San Francisco; it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I always thought it would for sure be in the top ten boom towns in the country, but it's not even in the top ten. It, the whole country is going through it. When I was in Austin, mm-hmm. it was crazy what's going on over there there's even more construction than there is here it's it's just insane so this whole country is going through that construction mode you know and i don't know if it's a bubble or i mean i believe it is it's because all the tech companies are moving a lot of them moving out of california and they're going to different places but it's still going on here so that leaves a lot more people that can't afford to yeah. live where they're living or where they grew up it's happening all over the peninsula as well yeah. Moving out to the East Bay or yeah. Tracy or Sacramento, a lot of my friends, they couldn't afford to buy a house here. Yeah. Well, so. and yeah, all the tech. Com- I mean, it's funny because it's a double-edged sword. I love, right? I love all the tech. Sure. I love all the increase and the updating and the new. But that means that rents are going up. That means it's more costly to live here because, I mean, landlords know, oh, wow, it's like Facebook, the, that you know, box, right. they're here. Oh, well, they can afford a higher rent. And right. so they're 
shoving all the you know the young families and the young artists and creative types which i tend to f- i find myself sure. in like we can't afford to live here it's challenging yeah, yeah. we live in har- warehouses yeah <laughs> yeah man <laughs> which i don't i you know Oof. i always thought that was a cool thing anyways <laughs> you know live work spaces uh-huh. you know? uh but you know it, obviously you know i mean i like walking in the streets walking in clean streets mm-hmm. i like having nice restaurants places to go to you know in the tenderloin i never minded it mm-hmm. at all i had, uh i used to walk all the time i used to take people out to dinner at like you know one in the morning um homeless and i just wanted to hear their story yeah you know because everybody's got a story yep. nobody yep. there's very rare it's very rare that somebody actually grew up in the streets as a kid yeah right uh although there is many of those stories but a lot of something happened mm-hmm. maybe they were on the verge they lost their family they lost a loved one yep went down the spiral and then ended up on the streets and it's so hard to get up from. Yeah. What's been your experience with that? Yeah, man. Uh, you know, you just reminded me, I'm, I'm hanging out with this guy on Friday. He does work in the city and in San Francisco and he, have you heard of miracle messages? Mm-hmm. He goes, I'm seeing this GoPro that you got filming us right now. He goes out on the streets and he gives homeless people GoPros. Really? And he has them tell their story. Wow. And every one of them, like you said, like they have something to share. And he says most of them have a disconnected relationship in which brought them there. Sure. It has uh, to do with something in their family. It has to do with some hurt or heartache from their family of origin. And what he does through these videos, if with their permission, is he finds them. He finds their family and he connects them wow. through these messages. Like he'll create uh, a, a video message with the GoPro footage and send it. He's seeing the families be reconciled. It's That's really incredible. Where, where can we find this? Yeah, you know, well, I'll find out. I'm hanging out yeah. with him on Friday. Nice. Uh, but I think it's uh, miraclemessages.com. Miracle messages. That's inspiring. Yeah, isn't that cool, man? That's inspiring. But I think, yeah, everyone, I mean, every connection I've had actually goes back to my, uh, my, college years in Chicago dude. I met a guy named Herbert that changed my life. Herbert was a Salvation Army bell ringer and I was on Christmas break. It was the middle of winter in December and I was trying to avoid him as I came out of the Kmart getting some toiletries or something <laughs> like that. Like beelining exactly, the other way. Like, yeah, right? yeah. And I hear his, this big gruff voice like God loves a cheerful giver. God <laughs> loves a cheerful giver. And I was like oh he's saying some scripture and I, you know, I was a part of a person of faith. Yeah, I am a person of faith and I was a part of a community community that was um you know professing the like the the heart of god and here i am walking by a guy right sure. who then mentions god so i actually go and talk with him long story short we developed a friendship over the month of december while i was on christmas break and i learned all about him how how he got incentivized to ring the bell uh, through a contest and he actually would win the region there in chicago and he'd get money for hotels and money for food he i would take him out for lunch and eventually at one point he said, I want to take you out to lunch. And I was like, no, 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 no. But he demanded that he yeah. take me out to lunch. Sure. We went to some buffet place across the street from Kmart. And that's when I started to realize the humanity of people. Like I would put them in a category there, those homeless people that, uh, you know, unfortunately, like that, that negative word, that bum, that whatever, uh, that's when my life started to take a turn where I realized, well, I'm just like them. I'm just, I'm one decision away. I'm one broken relationship or one bad choice away from being one bad choice. Too, you know? yep. And for some of them, it wasn't even their bad choice. It was someone else's bad choice. Yeah. So that's what, when I came here, it, you know, it's a long story, but I, 
Uh, I like doing stories about people who are on the street. Uh, I like telling stories about underdogs. Uh, I created a whole thing called Street Life that's here in uh, Redwood City in Palo Alto Menlo Park that actually caters to people who are on the street through meals and rehab and coaching and just life skills and all that kind of stuff. And it's been a fun, fun time. That's why I'm, I was so interested in this this 33 days film because yeah. it was a, a story that meant something to me. 33 is a symbolic number as well. That's interesting, right? right? It, yeah. it is interesting. Yeah. It's something yeah. that really kind of it seems like you whether it was conscious or not yeah. you probably gravitated to it or you saw the symbolism yeah. and you're like you know what i have to do this yeah right yeah i mean did it click at some point when did it click right at that number or was it later you're like wait a minute 33 33 jesus yeah like, yeah i mean well yeah the, there's a, a lot of biblical symbolism in the number three right period, you know, yep. father son holy spirit and I think that's interesting. So, um, yeah, I mean, probably didn't rec- recognize it at first, you know, but the, the whole story in general has all this like crazy, um, nuanced parallel, like imagery to the, a life of faith, you know, to someone who sacrifices on behalf of someone who could get, give them nothing in return. And that's yeah. pretty beautiful. You know? Tell me a little bit, you know, where do you hail from and, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, tell the listeners what, you know, what brought you to faith? Was it family? Or did you just one day kind of, you know, went to church one day, something happened and you just kind of, you're like, oh, you know what? I'm, there's some solace in this. Yeah. I mean, it's a, a, a big story. You know, if I could make it short, like, I, like my name, right? Capastione. I grew up Catholic, <laughs> Italian. And really that just meant going to a mass here and there <laughs> and wearing come a saint. Over, come know? over. Yeah. yeah. Wearing a saint around my neck. Uh, we had a huge Bible in our house that was, you know, often dusty, but I would page through it once in a while, but I was very intrigued about God. I was, I always had a sense that there was a creator. I maybe had a, a fear of that creator. I maybe thought that creator was a judgmental one. Um, my family, uh, I would say there was an interest in, um, in God for maybe just purely traditional religious purposes. Where, this is what we've been doing yeah, for so generations. This is what we do. This is what we do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but my my real like interaction with faith and spirituality came in high school. My parents had divorced, and uh, my both my mom and dad were in their second marriages. There were some other uh, challenges happening in our family. And I just felt like, oh, man, like I was lost. You know, I was like a, teen, a typical teenager trying to find my way, posing, trying to be someone I wasn't, you know, uh, just try, trying to find anything that was going to click. That's really when I found the theater and the creative community as sort of my tribe, my family. No older siblings? One younger. One younger. Yeah. Okay. So, so you I was the, the oldest, yeah. yeah, four years older than my brother. But the, the two dudes from high school that really – I don't know, got got the message to me was when I saw they were football players, but they were also artists, which didn't make sense because it was a very stereotypical, right? Uh, a high school, you know, category world for me. Like I didn't know how to, because I fit in this world, they fit in that world, but they were kind of in both. I'm like, oh, cool. Uh, but they also had this faith category that they, they were finding themselves in, right? Usually like there's the jocks, there's the thespians, sure. there's the religious people, but yeah. they seem to have a combination of all of it. And I always like laugh with my friends who um, I'm talking about their names are Rob and Jason. They were football players, but they were in my art class and they were always doing art that had some sort of sacramental expression. Like there was just a lot of art about Jesus or crosses or even like um, 
uh, apocalyptic type scary art, you know, like dystopian type of pictures where people were, uh, flames were coming out of people's mouths and being, you know, martyred for their faith. I'm like, what is going on over <laughs> here on this canvas? But that's, that's, that's part of it all, totally. right? It's part of it all, whether yeah. you believe, you know, in one, you know, whatever faith you believe in, you know, I've always had, I grew up Catholic myself as well, going to Catholic school when I was in South America, living with my grandparents and, you know, my grandmother is very, 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 very extremely religious. And my parents didn't grow up that way or they didn't raise us that way, you know. But I do believe because of experiences in my life that there is a higher force. Mm -hmm. And above that, you know, personally, I believe in karma and I believe in doing good, you know, to people. Not because I want to get something back, but because that's just the right thing to do, you know. And uh, so it is faith. And, and I believe that it's gotten me through my life up to now mm -hmm. you know so i it's always interested interesting for me to sit with people that you know come from a different environment or or there was something that happened you know yeah. like my uncle uh he's he became mormon and when he was he was on the other side of that equilibrium partying and hanging out and doing mm -hmm. his thing all his life and then he got into his 30s and met someone and he's the complete opposite Changed. now interesting. right yeah um you know, and we call him the preacher, of course, mm -hmm. you know, but he's uh, he's become a good man and a man of faith and he does good on to others. Cool. So it changed his life. Yeah. And for that, I'm happy. I think people were meant to be we were meant to influence each other. We we're meant to rub off. And, and sometimes it's positive and sometimes it's negative. Right. But I'm grateful sure. that these dudes were who they were because they opened my eyes in ways that made faith for me really personal and tangible. It wasn't just distant and uh, Sunday, you know, type of experience. Sure. Or really, if I'm honest, more Christmas and Easter <laughs> type right. of experiences. But their, their faith was um, ritual, but also intimate. And so I started to ask questions. I started to realize, okay, I, I don't connect to God like you connect to God. What's different about you all? Uh, they had a really strong family unit that... Um, seem to be based out of love, you know, in that condition yeah, uh, or not shame. Judgment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were a part of a faith community, like a, a church that met on Sundays that seemed a little different than what I was a part of. It was more of a Protestant expression. Sure. And so I, I was going to these events, these youth group, quote unquote, and just like absorbing it all going, I want this. And the, really the story, the story that gripped me was the idea of the creator of the universe being super personal and, and creating me, knowing me, Tony Gaffzone as an individual and as a child that really got me. Cause I had longed for a feeling of belonging. I wanted to belong. I wanted to be a child, you know, and I love my parents, but you know, divorce brings pain into sure. a child's life absolutely you know and so that was something i had to heal from and i really found healing and comfort in this faith community so i threw everything in like i was like i'm gonna learn about jesus and then you know i had to circumvent some of my uh my hopes and dreams because i wanted to be an actor at that point but you know i always tell people i kind of got the message from this community that that was of the devil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right? And maybe it's the story I told myself. Yeah. On, so maybe I misinterpreted, but it was kind of like, Ooh, like the theater, like those people, those people, those people. Well, scary. I mean, if you, I, I had a friend who grew up very, uh, I, I mean, it was Christian, but they were very, very strict and they wouldn't let them out for Halloween. Mm -hmm. 
like that was not okay. Oh, and dude, so I've he heard that too. Longed. Oh, yeah. He always longed for that, you know. And he's just like Halloween was like this like yeah. epic like oh my god. It's yeah. like being our friends who were Jewish that were like I just want Christmas. Yeah. Right? Uh huh. <laughs> Halloween celebrating Satan that one day when uh, we we prance around and say every like everything evil is right and let's celebrate it. I, I I've heard that before too. I heard that. Before well, the, the whole evil part. I mean, it does take that tone, right? And it's sure. everything's dark and all that. Sure. But you see the different. Um, you know, different cultures celebrate in a different way. Yeah. And we, ours has become very, you know, a party, right? It's it's a party. But, you know, Day of the Dead, right? They celebrate. It's not about being um, afraid of ghosts. Mm -hmm. It's not about, like, being someone else, which is the cool part of Halloween. You can be anybody you want, right? Mm -hmm. And um, But it's about celebrating and remembering those who passed and, and just taking that moment. I mean, my father passed away about a year and a half ago, and I maybe feel like, uh, you know, Halloween's taking a different turn, you know? Mm. But, you know, I didn't grow up that way, so Halloween for me is still, like, just a fun, fun you yeah. know? Like, I'm going to get dressed up and uh, and have fun with it, you know? But I, I look back, I think there's good intentions. Like, you know, there's a when you're a parent, right, you want your kids to be safe. Sure. You want them to be safe. So, but there crosses a line when we are full of fear, right? And we want to control our kids and we don't want them to experience anything uh, bad or hurtful. But I think we, if we exert all this control onto someone, onto our children, onto our church, onto our whoever, I think it starts to, it's like, it's like a, a, a film from M. Night Shyamalan, like The Village or something. It starts to feel mm -hmm. a little like, this isn't reality here. A little cultish. Yeah. Let's talk. Can we talk about it? Is yeah. it okay for me to ask questions? Sure. Like, help me understand why. Well, what's that old movie with Kevin Bacon in the city that they didn't allow them to dance? Oh, like Footloose. Footloose. Yeah. Yeah. Like, right? That so, was evil. Exactly. And that's so funny. A lot. So, like, that's sort of what I gathered from this church that my my theater life, my aspirations to be an actor was kind of selfish and mm. not Jesus-like. But I could use those things uh, at the youth group. I could do that at the church service. So I joined the, the church choir, and I was on the drama team, and I did all that kind of stuff. And then I kind of gave up my dreams for acting for a good long time. And uh, I, I look back and I go, I'm not bummed by it. Cause I, you know, I've come back to it, but then I went on a whole, dude, yeah, I went on a whole new direction. I became a pastor. Yeah. I went to the theology school, got my master's. Oh. I became ordained. Uh, but along that 25 year journey, I started to sort of, I would attribute it to the transcendent divine spirit of God, the creator wooing me to see there was way more to the story sure. that I had missed, you know, that I was, I, I, I was on that way, but I kind of got shortcutted. Now I'm here, but now my eyes are open to go, Oh wow. Like what we do, like storytelling Story, yeah. and media, like this is just as important and just as spiritual as me having uh, a pulpit and being a part of a clergy or having a, you know, a title as pastor. Well, you know, creating stories, telling stories, capturing stories, doing podcasts, all this, mm -hmm. this is word of mouth, right? It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, professing, it's, it's preaching the word yeah. of whatever it is we Preach. want to talk about, yeah. right? We're preaching and, yeah. and getting out to the masses. And, you know, uh, Rolf is the one that turned me on to podcasts and, uh, for, there was a stigma always like, you know, men, we don't talk about our feelings. We don't communicate in that sort of way. We talk football and mm -hmm. uh beer right mm -hmm. and uh and I chicks, felt out of that right that's <laughs> yeah. what we talk yeah. about and yeah. anything else it's like wait yeah. what yeah. why are you 
what, what's wrong? Why are you crying? What? Uh-huh. Why are you emotional? Yeah. Well, your girl broke up with you. Who cares? Let's go get another one, you know? Uh-huh. And so, you know, having that conversation, doing this, it's incredible. <laughs> it's very liberating, you know, and being able to talk to people and, on a different level, you know? I agree. Storytelling. I mean, you could say that the Bible is probably the greatest story ever told. Yeah. Agreed. Right? Yeah. It's in every single hotel room. Uh-huh. I don't know how they did that. Yeah. <laughs> how that came to be. Do you yeah, know the story behind that? Gideon, the Gideons. Yeah. I think they're, the, I don't know the exact story, but I know there was a gentleman who was all about getting scriptures into hotels and somehow went and made it like a thing. I don't know. I just know that that happened. Like now they just do it. They like just do it. it. Yeah. Just... I don't think people even know why, you know, but there, I have seen there's Book of Mormons now in certain ones as well. Uh, oh, okay. Book of Mormon. I was, a few months ago, I went to see the, the show. Oh my gosh. It was that incredible. Hilarious, dude? It was so funny. So irreverent and raunchy and raucous. I, it's I, so t- funny. I totally thought it was, I didn't know that it was going to be like that. Mm-hmm. Right. I had no idea. And I was like, just cracking up my, so funny. my mother-in-law, uh, was just, uh, she was laughing out loud. Right. Yeah. She was LOLing so hard, yeah. you know, and, it, and I'm just looking at her like waiting to see, cause it is raunchy. I'm like, yeah. she gets it. <laughs> we need stuff like that. We need to poke fun at ourselves and our understanding of organized religion. And, you know, I was a part of a, uh, church community in three different spaces in two different States. I served 20 years as a staff member of one local church here in the Bay area. And I know like, oh my gosh, we are crazy. We are just the things we think sometimes, the, the points that we miss, the ways that we kind of steamroll over culture and think we are <laughs> we are the, the end all be all. It's, it's, well, it is laughable. So. It's all uh, interpretation as well, yeah. right? I mean, I think as we get older, we get more experience and we, I think everybody in life should get punched in the face physically and literally and, and, and figure I've had one too many of those. Yeah. Can I not? No, you know, just once, just yeah, say okay, once, okay, you know, so, okay. you know, you feel what if, you know, you understand what it feels like. Yeah. You're like, come on, that's enough. All right. I said once, I said once. Okay, all right. Then I'm done. I'm good. dude. I'm but good. you know, it kind of just, it, it puts you uh, things in perspective and, you know, if if the ego's driving everything, then you're doing it for the wrong reasons. And I'll I'll say like again, I'll own it. Like the story I told myself that kind of um, made me, I think, limit myself and my understanding of God and my understanding of what it meant to express my faith. I'll say in the same way, I'll own how power can get to one's head mm-hmm. in these places of leadership and being a clergy. Uh, I mean, look right now in our culture. There are a lot of, uh, gosh, man, uh, uh, a lot of damage being done in the name of Jesus. Sure. A lot of people who are siding, you know, with with political parties or even endorsing political parties and endorsing ridiculous behavior. There are church leaders who are being put on blast for their um, Me Too behavior, their sexual assault, sexual harassment. And it's just, it's really disillusioning for people. And I want to say, like, I I get it. I'm sorry that that's the case because we let power go to happen yeah. yeah i mean separation between church and state is like really the gray areas widening more than ever with we're about the same age it's widening more than ever i've ever seen it you know i've never seen it so front and center yeah interesting right, right? it's it's pretty yeah. incredible and yeah. with the current political climate right now it's kind of it's 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 laughable like you you know like trevor noah does a really great job and yeah, uh, but he puts it into perspective you know yes 
you know, they say, oh, let comedians just, you know, you, SNL shouldn't be. You guys stick to comedy. But this stuff is like, uh, this stuff is it's prophetic. It's, 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 it's incredibly ridiculous. It's so ridiculous that it's almost like, like, are you guys kidding? No, we're not kidding. Yeah, this no. actually happened. They're speaking into the culture in a, in a profound way. I think, again, that's why I am where I am today. I saw, like, at one point, again, the message I got or that I told myself was, people in Hollywood, people are creating you know, TV and film. It's very narcissistic. Mm-hmm. And it's all about the money. It's all about the fame. But now I look, and I'm sure there are There's, people who enjoy that sure. anywhere, right? But now like, I go, whoa, no, no. We're trying to we're trying to affect change in culture. Absolutely, and we're, it does. Yeah, it it's does. Very, it's very powerful. Whether it's laughing or crying, we're trying to open eyes. We're trying yeah. to have people talk about that. So SNL is getting people to talk about stuff, and that's really like attractive for me. Yeah, yeah, I, I I agree, and and I love seeing it. It's it's um, you have to talk about it. If you don't, you're just going to be like, oh, well, we don't, this is, you know, we don't talk about politics. We don't talk about religion. We don't talk about personal finances. Like if you don't, then nobody's really going to, everybody's just going to be guessing and this and that. I mean, as a bartender, I used to talk about all those things. Oh man, you were like pastor and counselor Uh, and teacher and you you were everything, dude. I I was all day and I was good at it. I loved it. And I, you know, it since I was, when I was a kid, it, that kind of, st- I loved listening to people's stories. And as like a 13, 14 year olds, I would, I would, a 14 year old, I would listen to my first job, 15 years old, uh, my first regular job. Cause I worked with my stepdad every summer before that. Um, I was a waiter at a, um, at a retirement home and everybody was in their seventies and eighties and nineties and they all had stories. And if you sat there, they would, they could talk all day. And I loved it. Mm. I appreciated it. Cool. I knew at a young age that, you know, these people have been there, done that. And, and you know, whether I related to them at that point, you know, I just wanted to listen to them. And some people, sometimes you just have to listen, right, and and just get gamed up. So today yeah. I'm the same way. It's cool. You know, I love listening to people's stories and where they come from and why they do, the why they choose to do what they do and ask questions. Mm-hmm. You know, I was always that kid that just asked, asked questions mm-hmm. almost annoyingly, you know. I love that. Dude, there's a, if I could promote uh, the new movie, what's it called? Smallfoot? Littlefoot. Oh, is it Smallfoot or Littlefoot? Oh, shoot. Uh-oh. Google it. It's that animated movie that just came out with uh, Common. I think it's called Smallfoot. I love Common. But there's He's a dope. whole theme in that film about having the the guts to ask questions and how sometimes we, especially in faith communities, we discourage that. Follow and, what we say. Yeah, it's called Smallfoot. Yeah, and I really appreciate, again, going back to media, it, that it causes us to question. That's why I left my role uh, as a official, quote-unquote, church pastor to be a pastor in the arts because, like what you're saying, I think the church was always meant to be, you know, the mission from Jesus was always meant to be influencing culture. It was always meant to be immersing the culture, immersing other people in the love of God and the acceptance and the truth and the hope. You know, we lost that a little bit uh, and it's become a little irrelevant at times. And I'm hoping to a greater extent I can help influence the church at large, but I'm thinking at the same time, what's just as important to me is media. And that's why I started Brave Maker. That's why I wanted to create a space for people to dialogue around film. Yeah. So Brave Maker here in the Bay 
Redwood City in San Carlos uh, starting next year. We're going to be doing monthly film screenings. Nice. I like that. Bringing filmmakers to share their work. And you, you have know. a location for that? Still Is working it, on it. Still working on okay. it. Yeah, we're going to be doing... Uh, Maybe partner up with like the Fox Theater or exactly. something would be cool. Yeah, we'll be doing things uh, like at smaller venues like community centers or churches mm-hmm. or schools, but also we're renting out Cinemark for the Film Fest in June and the Dragon Theater nice. and having you know big and small venues where people can come together and watch films and talk about important things like diversity or uh, the LGBTQ community or women issues or whatever. Like That's my hope is get people in a room to talk and dialogue from all different backgrounds yeah. from all different spaces i love it brother i love yeah. it i you know I, it, and just to go into that a little bit deeper and this is actually the next question i was going to ask you or you know getting to talk about you are very close and personal with the lgbtq um community mm-hmm. and i know you have some friends and that were in the church and went through some yeah I don't know, shaming or, you know, it's just kind of, yeah. you become an outsider once that comes out, sure. right? How, what's your experience been with that? And yeah. how are you, you know, how are you working through that right now with, you know, because of the friends? Yeah, well, you know, so my other, my podcast is called Holy Cannoli and I did uh, two episodes with my best friend, Matt. You can, you know, listen to his whole story. It's on episode nine and 10 of Holy Cannoli out on all the different platforms but he was on staff with me, with my church, and he had come out to me and a few other people, but he was married mm-hmm. to a woman, and he had four kids. Right. Wow. So they had to walk through that whole thing, and you know, a lot of churches today still have uh, a traditional sense of what marriage is. Uh, in the culture, that's a big thing, right? We have people still not advocating for... R- equal rights for same-sex couples to have the same rights as a heterosexual couple. So, you know, in the church, that's even to more of an extreme. Uh, there are views that uh, are put onto the gay community that says, this isn't how God made you. And if you live out this uh, this way, uh, they would use words like, uh, you are n- not living into God's design. You are living out of God's will. Uh, hmm. And you're eternal destiny would be affected so that's a big that's a big weight right that's that's a big burden gosh no wonder why your friend went through his whole life right hiding it doing what he was supposed to do right right Right. and and not being free i mean how is he today is he liberated is he still going through a lot with that yeah so shout out to matt nightingale he is he's been two years out of the closet as of 2018 uh he and his former wife uh, separated and it, be- it was a peaceful, although painful. I sure. mean, and I'm not advocating for divorce, and I've had people sort of come after me about that. As well, we both gone through that, so we understand exactly, as children how that's exactly, so hard. Exactly, dude. That that shaped my life. Exactly. And, so I know that. And I'm honest in this conversation. I did this on my podcast, and I, I told him when he first came out to me. I, this was 18 years ago. I was at a place where I was reading scripture in a way that's like, okay, cool. Well, you're married. Number one, we shouldn't get divorced. Okay. And number two, you're having quote unquote a same-sex attraction struggle. It's just a struggle, you know? <laughs> it's just temporary. Exactly. So let's get you healed and that type of thing. Healed. Right, exactly. Let's talk about that. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, the I'm sorry, it's just the hypocrisy within religions in general is ridiculous. I mean, let's talk about Catholics and everything that's been coming out that we've known, but now it's just yeah. like the abuse and kids. I mean, it's, yeah. I know we're all humans. You know, obviously that's wrong. These men are around kids all day every day mm-hmm. you know and at some point humanistic almost 
animalistic. Yeah. The brain, you know, lets you say that that's okay. You know, there's, there's a lot to be said. I mean, it's not like, it's not just one, two, three cases. You're talking about mm-hmm. probably hundreds of years. It's mm-hmm. not just, it didn't just start 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, what's your take on that? Yeah. Did you see the movie Spotlight? Uh, no, I haven't. I heard it's amazing. Oh, yeah. Um, well, that won yeah. the Oscar a couple of years back, yeah. and it was all about the abuse cases in the Catholic Church. And, uh, you know, let me just say, you know, it's heartbreaking, and sometimes there are no words, but words that are anger, ang- anger-filled and rage-filled. I'm so sad and frustrated by the hurt that has been done in the name of Jesus. And I've contributed to that. Like, I have... You know, I've been, again, I've been told certain things. I've interpreted scriptures in certain ways. Again, um, this is going back to the LGBTQ community uh, that has caused oppression in them, that has caused them to be shamed and in the closet. And, you know, there are people who are taking their lives because they've tried so hard to change, okay? That's one part. And then go back to the abuse and the cover-ups and the things that have happened within churches. I go, you know, to women and to men, I go, this is not okay, like be we have to be accountable not only to each other but to God <laughs> and the the amount of excuses it's just not okay and it, that's why I understand why people don't want to have anything to do with the church mm-hmm. okay I get that what breaks my heart is that people put that onto God and that's not God that's not the God that I know it's not the God of scripture that's not Jesus and you know I know there are people who are listening to this podcast who probably don't even believe God and that's okay too I understand it's mysterious but let me just say from what I understand of the creator that he will never have to apologize to us for the way he that the creator has treated us because there's he, the, 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 he, she, you know, the mystery, the mystery of the divine is that it's, it's driven by love and acceptance and hope and grace. But we, the people made an image of said creator have gotten it wrong and we have corrupted it. And so again, although I believe the creator will never have to apologize, I do believe the creator would say, I'm sorry for the way my people treated you. I'm sorry Mm. for the way you were abused. I'm sorry for the way that you were shamed and manipulated and sexually assaulted and harassed. Like that is not good. That is not good. And I have had to take a stand. Like I'm finding that the silence of the churches to not stand up in solidarity with the Me Too movement or people who have been sure. uh, coming out. Uh, They're just yeah, sweeping, know, it. sweeping it under yeah, the rug it's... because we want to get here. Let's, sure. let's stay on this route yeah. and uh, kind of put this away. I mean, yeah. Kavanaugh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, what? It's, it's that serious. Like anybody, I mean, I don't have to be a clinical psychologist to yep. understand that that is not the right man. What we saw yep. that, you know, last week yep. and the way he um, attacked you know, yeah. uh, people was not right. You the, just look at their demeanor. You look at their testimonies. Like, <laughs> again, I am not a FBI agent or someone who can administer, yeah. um, you know, polygraphs, but I can tell by the way they both came across. Sure. It was obvious to me. Well, one of the senators, uh, she said that, you know, her reason, she was a Democrat anyways, but she voted, her main reason was she wanted to go, she was, she felt like, he would have been a good person and until she actually so she was there and she listened to him then she uh listened to the recording watched it listened to it and then what she did was she put it on mute and just watched uh his body his language. body language yeah. and she said that 
is when yeah. she saw an angry man. Yeah. That's when she saw somebody who was defensive. defensive yep. And somebody who was not being truthful. Yep. And that's sure. when she was like, no. Yep. There is, I mean, with the Me Too movement, I mean, there's, it's opening up a lot of conversations. Mm-hmm. It's also shutting a lot of them out. And mm-hmm. it's unfortunately that the, you know, quote unquote leader and leadership uh, in this country is perpetuating um, this to be a non-story. Uh, apologizing on live TV to a man that I think most oh of the people know gosh. that that's that he's not the right person. Yeah, it's pretty incredible what's going on right now in the name of, um, you know, politics and patriotism. Amer- yeah, American nationalism. That's why we need artists to step up and tell these stories. That's why we need documentarians to yep. do these exposés. That's why we need narrative writers, you know, books and articles and bloggers and media and, and journalists. And, right. I this mean, is our this, job. This yeah. this is the golden age of it, I believe. Right. We're getting into it. Yep. And I think it's going to separate the fake, you know, from from actual people that are doing something well. This is the time where artists will sh- yeah. shine because there's so much struggle, there's so much pain, and there's so much that we can – there's so many things that we can do to bring each other together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've always thought that that, that – you need certain times for that and and every artist needs to go through some pain you know that you don't just get there you know from being happy every day you know i just watched uh a wrinkle in time for like the second or third time with my kids and i'm gonna forget the quote but one of the miss mrs witch uh played i think it's mrs witch played by uh mindy lahiri uh, she quotes a philosopher an eastern philosopher and she says uh the the wound is where the light comes in Right, and so I think as storytellers, as artists, we do let the wound be a place where we can talk about the light, where we find light. Like some storytellers, some artists are really drawn to explore the dark because that's how they can understand the light. Sure. And I, I've had some of my most profound spiritual experiences in a theater. You yeah. know, like one time, just bawling. Almost, I, I I think I remember feeling you know quote unquote weak in the knees where I couldn't even hold my body up because the film had touched me so deeply. Yeah. That's why I'm so interested in it. You know, I yeah. want I wanted those things so badly for <clears throat> for the masses on Sundays, and we got there here and there. But I think that's why I'm like I'm drawn to continuing to work with the church at large and to be a storyteller and artist at large as well because yeah. of the impact we can have. Well, the, the storytelling alone, I mean, we've been telling stories since we were, I mean, <laughs> well, since we mm-hmm. could communicate, mm-hmm. I mean, on, you know, on, on, caves. on yeah. caves and around the fire, around the fire, yeah. you know, yeah. it's, it's pretty incredible. It's like cool. I am incredibly grateful to be able to put everything, uh, the culmination of my, my experience and growing up into yeah. something that I love and to find different mediums like, podcasting yep. long version right yeah. um uh, telling short stories within a couple of minutes or short films uh hopefully someday we'll do you know work on a um feature cool. you know but it is the storytelling man it's i'm not about the blockbuster huge hit that like you know yeah I, i've that's never interested me i mean those movies are cool and everything but for me it's like i i when I pass on, I want to be known as someone who told stories, a documentarian, I, cool. uh, somebody who who loved people, and wanted to break bread with them, right? Um, whether I agreed or not, you know, I think uh, I, I've, I'm eternally grateful to have had a person like Anthony Bourdain in my life. It, you know, uh, I never met him, but I just 
I saw his whole story when he came out with Kitchen Confidential, and I was like, I connected with him because I was in the restaurant industry. I connected with him. It was raw, and I loved the way he wrote. It was just raw, and uh, for him, for for us to have what we have, the body of work that he's left is um, is pretty incredible. We can always go back to it, but huge loss, huge loss, because he was reaching over, um, you know, so many people and breaking bread all over the world with people that normally we wouldn't have these conversations with mm -hmm. that's cool man i love that you brought like you even use that word breaking bread it just goes back to that spiritual faith community you know the story of jesus was always so appealing to me because of the inclusion because of who inclusion. he broke bread with yep. and there was always people on the outside crossing their arms like why is he having dinner with that person and sure. those people and I go, it's a good sign. They're not They're, our people. Yeah, it's a good sign that people are criticizing you for who you have dinner with. Uh, yeah. So that that's the kind of person I want to be. Let me ask you this, Tony. The, yeah. You know, so being a man of faith and, you know, how do you view other faiths or, you know, other other religions? You know, I my mom is a good She's actually the perfect person because she has Buddhas everywhere, which she gives me, and she gives me crosses, and she's multi-religion, and she's a believer, and you know she read all the Soup for the Souls books, which were amazing, <laughs> chicken right? Chicken Soup for the Soul, and 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 she just Good. you know anything that's positive, you sure. know, and finding the silver lining. So I definitely took that, and I have that in me, right? Yeah. So how do you view that? I mean, that's from good. your end, I'm still exploring that. I. Like I, oh gosh, I spent so much time on a different side of the fence where it was, this is the way, you know, mm -hmm. this is the only, the only way. And I'm at this place now where I'm trying to like unlearn some things. How do I find the divine? How do I find God in every space? Uh, I'm, I'm learning from people and I'm listening to podcasts and I'm reading books because I think there was a time when, I would, you know, I would be graceful about it, but I would say you're wrong <laughs> if you didn't believe Jesus. Uh, I'm still trying to like navigate through how I understand, like, is that even spiritual abuse to be saying that to someone, right? Like we we manipulate people into believing that we're the way. Uh, this I, is the only door. Yeah, I mean, I believe the story of Jesus is so powerful and so significant. And I've heard radical stories of people in other faiths who still who believe in Jesus too, and who are a Muslim. And mm -hmm. uh, so I I don't want to put judgments out. I'm trying to navigate through those conversations and trying to learn. I believe God is bigger than we can ever understand. I believe God is in all of these spaces, and He's known. And even saying He, I'm trying to be careful he, with she, that. Right, the, right. The, yeah. the divine, the transcendent. Sure is bigger and more than any word we can place on it, any gender identity. But I believe the story of Jesus is meaningful to me, and I love talking about the story of Jesus, and finding the story of Jesus in other practices has been cool, and also learning. I've heard people share stories of experiencing these transcendent moments that had nothing to do with the name of Jesus, but I go, ah, oh, I think that's the same God. It, it just expressed it a different way. Sure. So I'm still learning, dude. I'm still trying to figure it out. You know. You mentioned, you know, sometimes we have to go through some darkness to see the light. Yeah. And, you know, it made me think of, I've been so much better about it in the last couple of years. But ever since I was a kid, I always, I went to a dark place every once in a while. And I needed to kind of be by myself. I would shut everything out mm -hmm. and just be by myself. I wrote a lot. I spent time up 
you know, and, and I never truly, truly enjoyed it until I was older. But, you know, when I was, I used to, I used to do it this way. I used to go and just get lost. Mm-hmm. I'd go be in the Tenderloin mm-hmm. and be drinking and hanging out and partying and partying with like, it was different partying and it wasn't with anybody I knew. Mm-hmm. Right. And then after a day or two, I would find my compass and then come back like 10 times stronger and, and be confident again in the way that I knew where I was going. And it was like a way, it was like I had to straighten myself out the last couple of years, instead of doing it in a negative way, even though positive came out of it, instead of going through the negative part of it, I would, I just go and travel and go film something for like two or three days, you know, we'll take Rolf and go to Chicago or, you know, most recently I went to Austin and did that with my girlfriend. I was filming the whole time. And those types of moments is what refreshes me every time. And, and so it's pretty cool seeing, um, I think that's spiritual, man. It is. It's a spiritual moment. Everything is spiritual. Like you're expressing and don't, be put off by this word, but I think it's an act of worship to the divine, to the creator, to use these passions of yours and these skills to make something. That's the biggest thing I think about. Like, ah, we are creators too. We are little gods. Mm -hmm. We are invited to make things happen. Take an idea, which is, which is something and turn it in, which is, I mean, nothing, right? It's like, it's an idea. It's in your head. You can't see, you can't touch it, but taking that idea and making it into something that's like, let there be light. Yeah. Right. That's like let there be fish in the sea. Let there be land. I mean, that's just what the creator does. That we get to do the same thing. Pretty yeah. cool. It's it's uh, I love your openness and open mindedness, and and you ooze it. You ooze it, man. I want to be able to support you in however I can, and hopefully right on, we can man. get onto some projects. Let's and, do it. You know, yeah. I'll come by and you know swing at a spiral up. Let us know what else is going on, you know, kind of yeah. where can we find you? Where- yeah, check out bravemaker.com uh, in the Bay Area here. We're going to be starting up film screenings uh, in 2019. And we also have a film festival, June 1st and 2nd, 2019, downtown Redwood City. So filmmakers, you can submit your projects on Film Freeway. Uh, what are the guidelines? Any quick? So uh, we're looking for brave stories. We're looking for stories that give us a new perspective on life, that pave a brave new way. We're looking for stories of justice, for stories of beauty, for stories of spirituality, for stories of uh, like breaking through the garbage of what's going on in our reality to remind us of truth. Sure. Love uh, stories by LGBTQ people, by the, uh, the by women, by people of color. We want to elevate your stories and tell your stories through the Brave Maker Film Fest. Do we have a location for it yet? Uh, we're definitely going to be in Cinemark, and we're definitely going to be in the Dragon Theater, downtown Redwood City. Nice. Yeah, we're looking for one more location. There's a person we're going to talk to right now on Jefferson. So, yeah. Are you looking for volunteers? Heck uh, yeah. People to help coordinate? Gosh, how can we help? We're going to need like 100 volunteers. So mm-hmm. uh, email me at Tony at BraveMaker.com if you want to get in there. We're meeting once a month right now, the second Tuesday of every month for our team. Mm-hmm. So second Tuesday of every month in San Carlos on Tuesday night, we meet to talk about sponsorships, looking for corporate sponsors, individual sponsors, everything's a tax write-off because it's we're a nonprofit. I love that. Yeah, I love that. So the um, is there certain guidelines that? Does the short have to be under a certain time period? I mean, is it under ten minutes? What is it? Yeah, I mean, well, the short, 
according to you know like the academy uh, is 45 minutes or under right, you know it, so uh, you could submit anything 45 minutes or under for the short category but we also have a feature film category as we well do. and you know we're looking for music videos documentaries narrative anything that would fit send it out we've got like about 20 some 22 submissions so far and we're submissions are open until april 2019 and all of the um, submissions will be decided by april 30th love it love it maybe i'll get a team together if not we'll definitely uh, help and volunteer <laughs> yeah and, that'd be great man put it on i would love that because i've always wanted to be part of a film festival we used to do a lot of the 48 hour film projects yeah. for halloween last year we did i surprised the crew that day and i said today we are going to um we're going to write shoot and edit a 60 second film i love it and it, it was really cool to see everybody come out of their yeah their their skin and you know the um, director had never directed uh dp had some experience um the the writers you know they never written something like that so everybody was doing a different role our editor had never even touched an edit mm. you know she's a graphic designer mm -hmm. so we were all helping each other and it was really fun and cool and we all played the roles as well it's cool um so this year i said you know what, what let's do that again i gave him a little more time and we're gonna you know i mean really we're gonna do it in 90 seconds we're still gonna write shoot and edit that day and so now i just give him a little heads up about what we're doing and so i the film I think telling stories that way and seeing it on a big screen is so cool. Oh man, so powerful. So powerful. Again, so so spiritual, right? It touches every emotion. Yeah, yeah dude, we should definitely partner, man. Yeah. I, I think you know if you guys want to be a crew, can we do wanna... both? What do you can, mean? Can, can we enter a Heck film yeah. and be part of like the, the yeah, dude, inner workings for sure? I mean, if Visual Street wants to do any like live podcasting because we're going to be doing panel discussions. Absolutely, you can do. A, you can have a block of you know um, talking with the filmmakers, and you could record it for your podcast. Money, right? yeah, you can Count do some in. behind the scenes with some of the filmmakers. Uh, put together some packages, whatever. I'd love you guys to be a part. Yeah, yeah count me in. Okay, count us in for sure. Awesome. All right, what are the dates again? And what's the website? We're having uh, it's called Brave it's bravemaker.com slash filmfest. You can uh, submit on Film Freeway slash Bravemaker Film Fest. And the dates are June first and second. It's a Saturday and Sunday, but the VIP events happen on the thirty first. Oh, Friday we want to be floor. part of that. Yeah, no parties. Yeah. Well, it's been it's been uh, I love it. Thank you for dropping yeah, in. Also, let's yeah. let's do it again. Thank let's you, do man. it more. Let's keep let's keep let's get on some projects, man. Let's this is gonna it. be a great one. Uh, Tony, holy uh, holy cannoli, holy cannoli. It's been an awesome uh, um, talking to you, and right uh, on, I appreciate dude. you coming through, man. Yeah, I love. Uh, thank you, Michelle, for hooking us up. Yeah, Michelle Boondocks. from Boondocks. Shout out, Boondocks. <laughs> I need chop, a haircut. Chop chop. <laughs> All right, and that's gonna be all from this Creative Joint podcast, live from Visual Street Films.